On page 65, locations that can be filed. And I'm just reading the, the verse here on Numbers 35-33. Murder defiles the land, and except by the death of a murderer, there's no way to perform the ritual purification for the land where a man has been murdered. What's interesting here is you have another case, though, where uh, if they find a person murdered out in the countryside, you go to the nearest village and you get the elders to come, and they sacrifice a red heifer to purify that site. So you have... It says two different sites in this thing. But the red heifer sacrifice is not to, uh, in any way, nullify what the murderer did. It's the real issue. I mean, it doesn't say it, but obviously the issue is to sanctify, reestablish in its natural way the land where something has happened. Um, <clears throat> so again, areas that have been defiled. We had this case in, uh, in Israel. Uh, we were working with OM and doing that. They assigned us to um, evaluate uh, all the different works in a number of different countries in Europe and in the Middle East and in North Africa. And uh, in Israel, we work with a number of the women in the area of sexual defilement and so on. Swedish, there's mainly Swedish. But uh, the men that really come to us until the end, right when we leave it, so they didn't have time. Sort of a typical situation with them. <laughs> and, uh, but the, what they shared with us is they, they, they were living as a house as a team. Uh, it was a house that had been given to, to OAM. So the, the men that were going to Israel, that's where they live when they're passing out stuff and witnessing the Lord and going so on. And uh, they told us that they were all very careful to never be in the house alone. So there was always at least two guys who were in there. Otherwise, they felt really uncomfortable in that situation. And one situation where uh, the the team leader for Israel, uh, the, the wife went in to clean the house or do something, and, and she ended up in there alone. And there came a time when she basically ran out of terror. And so we immediately think, you know, well, give us some more, you know, information here. <laughs> so we says, well, who gave you the house? And they said, well, this, this uh, lady who, a uh, Christian Jew who became a, I mean, Jew who became a Christian woman, and she, she died. And we said, well, uh, before she was a Christian, uh, what would she do? Oh, she was a medium. So see, so she was a medium. So her house was defiled. So you have Christians move into a defiled place, and somehow or other, just their presence may or may not make a difference. We know of situations like with the tribe, Indians said that when we were in the tribe, um, people didn't die. And when we were out of the tribe, people died. They, they actually saw that after a few years. And so they didn't want us to leave because our very presence kept back Satan. But in this case, it may have kept back Satan as long as there's two around. But if there's one of them, it's not enough to keep down the spirits in this house. So uh, the point was that he did cleanse the house and drive away the spirits. That's the problem with this. Then we had another case, again, in Turkey, and it was a family that, uh, it's the strangest looking hill you've ever seen. You know what a boiled egg, you know, you know what an egg looks like. And you put an egg on one of these uh, egg trays, and it hangs up. Well, if look, this hill in, in Turkey looks like an egg that's sitting, just sitting in the ground, and there's just about a third of it underground. And it's absolutely shaped like an egg. Very, not that big of a hill. It's really strange. Just right up in the middle of, of nowhere. 
<laughs> and for years, it's been an object of, of worship at all. By it, it's the, also well, uh, one of the centers of power, but, vortex power. But uh, this family, OM family, that were living there, uh, they look out their window in the hills there. And they would have times in which they just felt tremendously depressed and just under a cloud. And their way of handling them, they would sing songs of praise, quote scripture, things like this, eventually feel better for a while. Again, the real issue here was that very, the very presence of that was defiling their apartment. They'd either move or ask God to cleanse the apartment and build, a, in a sense, a protective, um, invisible wall between them and the power of this hill. But don't just, don't just sing a, a song of praise. It may sound wonderful to do, but it's, it does not solve the issue. It does not, t- again, with depression, have someone just sing a song. And one of the, one people in our, one of the ladies in our course, when she was depressed, uh, she would just quote scripture and eventually not be depressed. Well, my issue is let's get to the source of what the depression is, not just use a coping technique. And that's what this is. It's a coping technique. And singing praises in the midst of an occult situation is it works to a time. It's a coping technique, spiritual coping technique. But it doesn't bring real resolution. And real resolution, again, has to do with uh, driving the forces out, uh, uh, cleansing a, a location so it's no longer of a profane uh, situation. There was also a, an Anglican vicar in England, and he noticed that in this one particular area where he lived, that there was a road that was seemingly uh, a safe road. There was nothing bad about it, no sharp turns or what have you. And yet there was an alarming number of accidents and deaths in that one little area of the road, of a man, maybe like even a quarter of a mile if it was that much. And it dawned on him that it might be something that, in fact, was tied to it being in a, in a cursed part of the road. And so he actually went. And as in his role as an Anglican, he actually prayed and asked God to, to in a sense, cleanse this part of the road so it would no longer be this, this source of death and destruction. And, and accidents ceased to happen. Walter, this vicar that we had in Spain, he and his wife died, by the way. They were really good friends of ours. But uh, Walter, by the way, was a converted, I don't know if he's first or second generation, but anyway, he was a converted Jew <laughs> who would have become an Anglican priest. Like that, I don't know if it was his father or him, but he was a priest. Walter, one time, uh, one of his British uh, parishioners in, in Spain had a, a, a wall that, that he had cemented in, and it wouldn't dry. And so he laughingly just said to Walter, why don't you pray and make this wall dry? And so Walter was a wonderful man. But as far as Walter was concerned, it was Walter versus there was the vicar, the priest of God. <laughs> Two different hands. So he just shifted into his spiritual position. And he says, basically, like, I bless you in the name of Jesus, dry or something like this. And uh, the guy, you know, about a day or two later, he says, the wall's dry. <laughs> and Walter, to him, so it just did not bother him at all. Again, he was angry again. We got a letter from our church in California that, that we were really training on dangerous grounds attending this Anglican service with our students because, you know, they were Anglican. <laughs> and yet he had a, a better view in some cases of the spiritual than uh, a good many other people do. 
So again, his role as a priest, and he recognized in this case, I don't know if we don't have plans here, what for the fourth was, uh, he brought, in a sense, healing to a location. That's the form of this. Uh, we also have a case where uh, it happened to be a fellow named Jeff that was on the missions committee with me in California. And he was, uh, again, OM. I keep talking about OM all the time. But we were, we did stuff with OM and YOM, uh, Gospel Missionary Union, North Africa Mission, uh, Dabna something or other. And we worked work with all kinds of groups. But uh, he was uh, bicycling past a cemetery in Calcutta and, and at night. And as he was doing this, all of a sudden, he just absolutely felt this horrendous force of blackness come over him. And in absolute terror, he just took off the ass there. And, you know, it's significant. You can't go back and cleanse the cemetery, I don't think. But the point was, you go to a, a pagan city, and you find a place where people have been buried. And there's been pagan rites put, you know, over them. And it is a place that is absolutely profane. And you also use this word, things that are profane versus things that are holy versus things that are natural. And most of the time we want to make things, restore them to their natural function. We want to be very careful not to make something sanctified to the Lord, make it holy to the Lord. That means it's set aside. We don't want to do that. So you can sit there. It talks about uh, adultery. It talks about, uh, in Scripture, it defiles the bed. And we've actually dealt with people where their bedroom and their bed had to be cleansed because it was a defiled location because of the sin that occurred there. But you don't want to make it holy. If it's holy, I'm sorry, a man or wife, if it's improper, if they go in there and enjoy themselves on a, in a holy site like this. Instead, it's a natural location, not a holy one. If you make it holy, it's great for communion. See, that's different. So again, uh, locations that have been defiled, and very important to recognize that anytime you're dealing with haunting, uh, this thing in ghosts, and I couldn't even tell you sometimes uh, what category ghosts are in. I know that many times we're talking about demons. Sometimes it's questionable. I just do not know. But uh, I know that, that anytime you're dealing with ghost type of things, that... Uh, I just think of this one program we watch once in a while. Uh, it is a total waste of money for people to hire these people. But it's called TAP, and I forget what TAP stands for. But uh, they go into supposed places that they're haunted, and they take in all this equipment and, uh, you know, things go uh, meters and stuff like this, you know. And they go in there, they go in there. And if you're there, would you please, you know, Shake my hand or say something or something. And no spiritual significance whatsoever. Nothing ever happens most of the time. And they have a whole program in which nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to have going sometime and just say, in the name of Jesus, I command that you manifest yourself. Because uh, they never show up when these guys are around. But when other people are around, all of a sudden they're seeing people coming down the stairs or they're hearing noises or they see a priest often in black. And somehow it was only a figment of imagination. Or all of a sudden the door, the door shuts and locks, but nobody's around. <laughs> Things like this. And you can't deny some of this stuff. But you can't test it by just assuming it's a, some sort of natural phenomenon. Or you take God out of the picture and you deal with it. Instead, you, you have to deal with it yourself. I've come into like one situation in Spain, uh, two different situations in Spain, where... I felt the presence of an evil princess. 
very undefined. It was just a feeling. And I just basically, again, said, in the name of Jesus, you have no right to be here. I command that you leave at this time. And they, they did. And if you run into that kind of thing, then that's a way to handle it. Very simple, and yet again, simple, but on the other hand, a recognition that we're dealing with a, a spiritual dimension in a, shall we say, natural world. And we've got to start thinking in terms of the spiritual, because when we deal with even with sin, as well as the occult stuff, we're dealing with the dimension of the spiritual world that's long-lasting and eternal. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where God and Satan and his forces operate, and they just step into the, the earthly. And if you don't get that in your head, then all you're going to do is deal with this as a state of mind, and you've got to think good thoughts or convince yourself it isn't so, or, or explain it away as just a psychological this or that, and not deal with the actual problem. There's a lot of people right now who are in mental hospitals that are actually demon-possessed. And there's no way they're going to get help, but all they do is to get medicine, keep them medicated. And uh, if they hear voices in their head, it must be we got a nice title for that. And sometimes, by the way, the title is legitimate, but it's schizophrenic. But sometimes it's nothing but a cold, sometimes it's chemical, sometimes it's just a natural you know, issue in their life. But our problem is anytime you run across something in which you're, you're not sure, don't automatically assign a natural uh, verdict to it. <laughs> uh, it doesn't hurt the test. That's all. It doesn't hurt the test at all. It doesn't take any time. Be on the safe side. 